You're listening to In Country, a podcast covering Marvel Comics, The Nam. Hello and welcome to In Country, a podcast that is taking a complete look at the Marvel Comics series The Nom, which is brought to you by the True True Freaks Internet Radio Network. I'm your host, Tom Panneries. I've got a good one for you today, and that one is The Nom number 58, which is the last part of the Death of Joe Hallen storyline. I'm also going to continue my historical context coverage by closing out 1969. Our music this time around is War by Edwin Starr, a song that hit number one on the Billboard Hot 100 in late August and September of 1970, was one of the more iconic protest songs of the Vietnam era. The song has an interesting history, starting in 1969 and going all the way up to 2001. It was originally recorded by The Temptations, but not released as a single, as The Temptations fanbase was more conservative at the time, and Motown Records was concerned that the song might not work out well with them. However, the record label did get requests to release the song as a single, so Norman Whitfield, who was one of the co-writers and producer of the song, decided to re-record it with Edwin Starr. The single was released in 1970, spent 15 weeks on the charts, with three of those weeks being at number one. It charted again in 1986, when Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band released a live version as part of their live album, which I have and is an amazing box set, by the way. The Boss's version went to number 10 on the charts, and in 2001, War was one of the songs included on the infamous list of songs that Clear Channel generated after the September 11th, 2001 attacks on New York and Washington of songs with lyrics that they deemed, quote, lyrically questionable. While the list was not a list of songs that Clear Channel particularly banned from the airwaves, it was a list of songs that they suggested be considered, quote, questionable. War, as I mentioned, was on that list, along with other songs such as Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap, as well as several other songs by ACDC, We Gotta Get Out of This Place by The Animals, Walk Like an Egyptian by The Bangles, Obladi Oblada by The Beatles, Burnin' For You by Blue Oyster Cult, Rock the Casbah by The Clash, America by Neil Diamond, Knockin' on Heaven's Door by Bob Dylan, See You in September by The Happenings, Daniel by Elton John, Stairway to Heaven by Led Zeppelin, Imagine by John Lennon, Dancing in the Street by Martha and the Vandellas, Leaving on a Jet Plane by Peter, Paul, and Mary, Bridge Over Troubled Water by Simon and Garfunkel, Peace Train by Cat Stevens, Wipeout by The Surfaris, Fire and Rain by James Taylor, Get Together by The Youngbloods, and every single song ever released by Rage Against the Machine. So our story this time is called Down So Long. It appeared in the NOM number 58, an issue that came out on May 28, 1991, and had a May, July 1991 cover date. The cover, as been has, has been the case with all five of these issues, was drawn by Andy Kubert, and this is part five of five of the death of Joe Hallen. Kubert's cover shows a body covered in a sheet, the image of Joe wearing his helmet, and a needle in front of all of them. It's a black background with a red and metallic silver ink that is definitely noticeable, but isn't one of my favorite colors covers of the bunch. Inside our credits are writer Chuck Dixon, 
penciler Wayne Van Zant, inker Tony D. Zaniga, letterer and colorist Phil Felix, editor Don Daly, and Tom DeFalco is the editor in chief. Be you afraid of the sword, for wrath brings the punishment of the sword, that you may know that there is a judgment. And that is from the book of Job, chapter 19, verse 29. We open with Joe absolutely raving mad about Gunny's death and the other guys trying to restrain him because he's about to tear the guy who shot him limb from limb. Joe wants to kill the new guy who accidentally shot his gunnery sergeant and his friend, and the guy, whose name is Roder, runs into a bunker, and his sergeant comes in to check on him. Roder explains that he wasn't trying to shoot him, it's just that there were shadows, and he didn't know if they were good or bad. The sergeant says to let it go was an accident, but he won't be able to come back there. The court-martial might say that he's okay, but the guys are out for blood. It's safer that way. Marty gets put on a chopper and leaves as does Gunny's body. Roder gets on the chopper and Joe says, See you around, Private Roder. Later on, Joe goes to see the corporal and asks if he knows where Roder got transferred. It's to Saigon. Joe's obviously making plans when Speed comes up to him with some breakfast. Joe says he's not hungry. Speed knows what's wrong. Joe wants to kill Roder for killing Gunny. Joe asks, Don't you? And Speed replies that Joe just needs to leave it alone. Joe doesn't see it that way, but before he can elaborate, they get a new mission, some recon and sniper work on a trail. That night, they watch the trail and take a cu- out a couple of VC. Speed, feeling celebratory, says they did their job so well they might have, end up getting some R&R. He asks Joe that he'll, what he'll do, and Joe says he'll head to Saigon. Well, Speed, well, he wants to head to Bangkok. He wonders why Joe would want to go to Saigon, and then upon realizing that it's to kill Rotor, he tells Joe to drop it. Joe says that he's not sure what Speed's talking about and tells Speed to leave him alone. At the 3rd Marine Division, Saigon, Joe looks for Rotor and finds out he was sent to Da Nang. The MPs are wary but aren't able to question Joe further because they have to go break up a fight. Joe asks all around and finally discovers that he's working as an orderly at the hospital and the nurse mentions that he really should talk to him because she doesn't like how things are going and Rotor might need help. Joe heads into Saigon. While walking around, another Marine waves him over and says that he's the guy that everyone deals with, including Rotor. He tries to get Joe to deal with him, but Joe's not having any of that and slams the guy against the wall demanding to know where Rotor is. The dealer talks and Joe heads upstairs to find Rotor sitting on a bed, strung out. Joe punches him and Rotor falls over, presumably dead. Two MPs arrive and begin roughing Joe up, but Joe isn't having it and resists until he's finally taken down. Some time passes, and Joe gets a summary of what his consequences are. Joe didn't kill Rotor, it's the heroine. He basically committed suicide over the grief and guilt from accidentally killing Gunny in the previous issue. But Joe's in trouble for resisting arrest and will more than likely be spending that time in prison back home. Joe has a dream. He's standing atop of a pile of dead bodies and the dead are calling out to him. Then he sees his mother chastising him for being no good. He wakes up in a cold sweat and two MPs tell him he's ready to head out. As he heads to the chopper, Marty watches Joe and then walks over to him and asks what happened. Joe replies, try to be a good soldier. Try to be a good son. Got nothing to live for. Marty, how'd this happen to me? Go easy, bro. Go easy, Marty says as Joe gets on his plane home. 
You know, when I first started buying issues of the NOM, this is one of the first stories I noticed in the latter half of the run, mainly because with the exception of the first Punisher storyline, it was the first storyline that was bannered in any special way. At a glance, I thought it was going to be about a guy who eventually does literally die in the end. But there are many ways in which a man can die, in a sense, and one of those is to have everything taken away from him and have his life essentially ruined, which is where we see Joe at the end of the story here. He's destroyed. He has no life waiting for him back at home. Anyone he seems to have gotten close to in Vietnam has been killed, and the last straw was his going after Rotor out of vengeance when he should have been heeded Speed's advice and just let it be, especially since Rotor had turned to smack after accidentally killing Gunny last issue. This ends so quietly, too. In a multi-part comic storyline, I think we would expect Joe to die in a big firefight or something, but there's no noble death here. He goes on a personal quest for personal vengeance, going all the way to Saigon and then to Da Nang, having been determined enough to find Rotor and get him back for his mistake. Of course, when he finds Rotor, it's a matter of the guy being strung out, and, and that makes Joe even more pissed because junkies and the drugs that they use absolutely disgust him. And the fight that he has, first with Rotor and then with the MPs, is very much in character. You'd expect someone who is as temperamental and easily angered as Joe to punch Rotor upon seeing him and struggle with the police. What we get here are this resolution with the results of his court-martial and him getting on another plane to head home, but this time in a sad way, and the pride in going home when he felt at the beginning of the storyline. Once again, Chuck Dixon has written a nice, tight story, and he's shown that while real-time storytelling has gone away for this series, some good stuff is replacing it. And I have to admit that I was wary of losing the real-time storytelling, I'd enjoyed seeing that when Doug Murray was writing the title, and I was worried that it was going to not live up to that. Yes, there have been some bumps along the way, but this really does help show that the potential that this book has with the multi-issue story arc. Van Zant and Dizaniga are once again solid as well, especially during moments of high emotion. They get Joe's rage and eventually his defeated, disappointed look at the end where he gets onto a big plane. It just dwarfs him. Pair this storyline with one of the earlier Hallett appearances, you'd actually get a decent trade out of all of this. Not that I think they'd be doing that anytime soon. I'll be back after this with historical context, letters, and ads. Movies, TV, comics, music... Pop Culture Affidavit has it all. It's everything random in the world of popular culture, and it's all covered by me, Tom Panneries. New episodes drop monthly at 2TrueFreaks.com, and be sure to check out blog posts about random pop culture topics at PopCultureAffidavit.com. Pop Culture Affidavit, the sworn testimony of a dork. In fact, I think we should record a promo about all the changes to the Fire & Water Podcast Network happening this year. 
What do you think, Rob? That's a great idea. We can mention the new folks joining the network and all the shows. I can talk about how we'll continue with our Aquaman and Firestorm show. And I want to be sure to plug my movie show, The Film and Water Podcast. What about you, Ryan? Oh, I think we should definitely record a promo. I'll mention how the Secret Origins podcast is joining the Fire and Water Network. And then I'll introduce my newly relaunched shows, Give Me Those Star Wars and Power of Fishnets, The Black Canary and Zatanna Podcast. Sound good to you, Chris? Absolutely. I'll mention the show I record with my lovely wife, Cindy, Supermates, the husband and wife geek cast. We should probably also mention the Power Records podcast Rob and I do, too. What about you, Siskoid? Well, sure. I can talk about my ensemble show, the Lonely Hearts Romance Comics podcast, and my new upcoming shows about the DC Comics crossover event, Invasion, and yes, Oh Hot Moo. Shag, you think we should mention Hero Points, the most occasional DC Heroes role-playing podcast? Sure, why not? And I can talk about Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe, and mention my new upcoming show, Justice League International, Wahaha podcast. Now, here's what I'm thinking. When we record, I'm fine being the first person talking. I can explain all the changes to the Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. Why do you get to start the promo? I'm just as much of a part of this as you are. It was my idea to create the Fire and Water podcast back in 2011. I should start off this promo. I kind of think it should be one of the new voices who kick off the promo. It'll shock the listener into attention if it's not Rob or Shag. Cindy and I make up two people in the network. Plus, you know, ladies first, so we should be the first people talking on the promo. Ben voyons donc. You have what? got uh, what? to. No, we French cannot be the language of the Firewater Network. Enough! Stop it. You're like boys with toys. Let's just make this simple. We can tell the folks at home the Fire and Water Podcast Network is growing in 2016. Several new shows are joining the network. We'll have a new dedicated website, a Twitter account, and Facebook page. And folks will be able to subscribe to each individual show or all of them. See? Now, was that so hard? Fire and Water Podcast Network. Available soon through iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and fireandwaterpodcast.com. Seriously, Shag, you had to get the last word, didn't you? So this time around, I'm going to wrap up 1969 with December before jumping ahead next episode to 1972 and then get into early 1970. I know it's a little all over the place, but for the most part... The rest of the podcast will go in some semblance of chronological order when it comes to historical context, unless otherwise noted. December 1st, 1969 is important because the first time for the first time since World War II, the United States military held a lottery draft. The way this works was that each day of the year for 1970 was assigned a number, numbers 1 through 1365, and the numbers were drawn and those with birthdays on those days were drafted. For instance, the first number drawn was 258, which meant that anyone born on September 14th was to report for duty. After the dates were done, another draft was held using different permutations of initials. There was an immediate controversy about this draft, and the New York Times ran an article on January 4, 1970, with the headline, Statisticians Charge Draft Lottery Was Not Random. According to the article, the challenges to the random selection process are based on calculations of average numbers for the men in the lottery for each month. For instance, the average number for men born in January is 201, while the average number for December is 122. These averages are obtained by adding all the lottery numbers of the dates in the month and the dividing by the number of days in the month. The average numbers for other months are February 203, March 226, April 204, May 208, June 196, July 180, August 173, September 157, October 182, and November 149. If the system were random, each month 
could have could be expected to have an average number around 183 or 184. Each of the first six months has an average above this. Each of the last six months has an average number below it. The general decline in the average monthly numbers can be seen if a graph is constructed with the months from January through December along the horizontal axis and the average numbers plotted vertically. The plots reach a high in March and then fall in almost linear progression until December. The pattern of the result could have been expected, according to statisticians who have studied the lottery, if somehow the capsules containing the dates in the early months were at the bottom of the bowl and those containing the dates of the late months were on top. The fact that the linear decline does not hold true for the first five months of the year could be explained, they say, because as draft officials acknowledge, the capsules of the later months were not mixed as thoroughly as those of the earlier months. And the controversy in general was over the fact that more people were drafted earlier with uh, in earlier months uh, so that more troops could be deployed right away. On December 15th, President Nixon would order 50,000 troops out of Vietnam, and according to the history place on December 20th, 1969, a frustrated Henry Cabot Lodge quit his post as chief U.S. negotiator at the Paris peace talks. By year's end, America's fighting strength in Vietnam has been reduced to 115,000 men. 40,024 Americans have now been killed in Vietnam. Over the next few years, the South Vietnamese Army will be boasted to over 500,000 men in accordance with the Vietnamization of the war in which they will take over fighting from the Americans. Another important event of December 1969, which was not directly a part of the Vietnam War, but is significant when it comes to the popular culture and the counterculture, is the Altamont Free Concert, which took place on December 6th at the Altamont Speedway in California. This was headlined by the Rolling Stones, but also featured uh, acts like Santana, the Grateful Dead, and Jefferson Airplane. The concert was touted as a West Coast Woodstock, but wound up being anything but, especially since the Hell's Angels were hired to handle security, and because of the amount of intoxicated fans and intoxicated Hell's Angels, the situation became unruly and confrontational, culminating in a near riot that resulted in the death of an 18-year-old African-American man by the name of Meredith Hunter. During the Rolling Stones' performance of Under My Thumb, Hunter tried to get on stage, but was driven back rather violently by some Hell's Angels. Hunter drew a revolver and threatened Hell's Angel Alan Pissarro, and Pissarro countered by drawing a knife and stabbing Hunter. Hunter died, but Pissarro was later acquitted of murder because the court found that he was acting in self-defense. The incident was famously caught on camera by Eric Saarinen, who was on the side of the stage photographing and filming the concert. Sarnet's footage would be used in the film Gimme Shelter, which is a documentary about Altamont and is one of those that is often highly recommended. I have yet to watch it, but I, I have heard very, very good things about it. The footage shows Hunter brandishing the revolver and Pissarro stabbing at him and pushing him off screen. It's alleged Pissarro stabbed him several times after that. Then that also Hunter was also stomped by several Hell's Angels. Hunter, it must be noted, was also high on methamphetamine at the time, which added to Pissarro's self-defense acquittal. 
Passara himself drowned in 1985, and in 1995, Mick Jagger had the following comments in an issue of Rolling Stone, where he said, after the concert itself, when it became apparent that somebody got killed, how did you feel? Jan Wenner asked him this, and Jagger replied, well, awful. I mean, just awful. You do feel a responsibility. How could it have all been so silly and wrong? I didn't think of these things that you guys thought of, you in the press, this great loss of innocence, the cathartic end of the era. I don't think any of that, that particular burden didn't weigh on my mind. It was more how awful it was to have had this experience and how awful it was for someone to get killed. I've put the Altima video and a link to the New York Times article in the show notes. And uh, that'll be it for 1969 in historical context. Uh, there are no letters this month once again, so there's no incoming, there's no nom notes. But let's take a look at the ads in the issue before we head out. Our inside cover has a G.I. Joe, a Real American Hero trading card ad. Recruit your own team of special forces. Ten Hut, G.I. Joe special forces trading cards are now ready for inspection. 200 cards in all, the front of each one blazing with color and action, backfilled with top secret information. Start your own collection with your favorite G.I. Joe and Cobra characters, or collect and trade them by categories like rank and file, patrols, original Joe team, battle gear, and even special missions. Enlist now, be the very first one in your block to join ranks with the premier edition of G.I. Joe Special Forces trading cards. They blow ordinary trading cards away. This is from Impel. And this is around the time I remember seeing G.I. Joe on the stand of the comic store and being like, wow, G.I. Joe's still being published and the guy at the comic store being, yeah, it's still hanging on there. And and it would kind of hang on for at least a couple more years until it finally died out uh, and then was sort of resurrected in recent years with the movies. I watched G.I. Joe Retaliation a couple months ago. It's all right. It's, it's a fun, dumb cartoonish action movie you know it's nothing i took seriously but so it was kind of fun to watch battle toads again uh the nba's jamming on game boy again a lot of repeat ads still 1991 score football cards uh the most fun you can have with football cards it's a sizzling 1991 football card collection gonna have to do a trading card episode at some point of of pop culture affidavit american comics is back with a victory sale we have a shot of cap with a bald eagle resting on his glove and he's saying all orders received by july 1st 1991 get a free poster and comic also see our ad in x-men number 278 and order from both ads let's see we got we got batman full circle which is the new 64 page special year two hulk ground zero trade paperback Art by Todd McFarlane. Infinity Gauntlet, Punisher POV by Starlin and Wrightson. X-Force number one, all new 48-page first issue by Rob Liefeld. X-Force number one set, all five editions. Get all five editions of the X-Force number one. A lot of this is uh, what's on some of the stuff that's on sale. Anything going for just an obscene amount of money yet? Gru 5 through 10 are going for $7.50 apiece. Spider-Man number one, adjectiveless Spider-Man, limited edition bag, silver comic is going for $25. So, I mean, we're clearly in the 90s here. Wolverine number four through nine is going for six bucks a piece. Let's see, that's that's Marvel. Let's see over at DC if anything is going for a serious amount of money. And no, nothing really is. The most expensive thing listed under DC is some... Some of the Lonely Place of Dying new Titans comics. 
and then over at Independence, anything going there? Hard boiled by Frank Miller, one one through three for four ninety five, and that's about it. So, uh, but they're they're really hyping X Force, and then X Men number one. And buy the new X Men number one at a discount. Send one dollar for our huge catalog. We're free with any offer. So. Oh, I guess you could to, to get an entertainment this month or something because it wasn't out yet because it, it comes out around two eighty one, so it's a couple of couple of issues away here. I got X Men number one for a quarter a piece at a show about a year after it came out. They really oversold that thing. Rifts Palladium Books presents Rifts. Rifts is a world of dark futures. Earth's dark future. Nuclear exchange was the match that ignited disaster, but it was the psychic energy of the billions of people that flooded the, le- the ley lines and tore open rifts in the fabric of space and time. It's hundreds of years later. Humankind has just barely survived, but they are not alone. The rifts still throb with mystic energy from changing both man and the world around him. From the rifts emerge a super- supernatural and alien monstrosities demonic fiends whose bodies are impervious to normal weapons and possess superhuman power but humankind has changed as well bionic augmentation bizarre experiments mutation psionics giant robots and battle suits turn ordinary men and women into superhumans and then there are the masters of magic rifts is a multi-genre role-playing game that captures the elements of magic and the supernatural along with science fiction and high technology available at comic shops and hobby shops everywhere huh this is from the same company that made the Robotech and the Heroes Unlimited role-playing game. Marvel t-shirts. We got Silver Surfer Team Earth to surf and protect of the environment. Team Earth Cosmic Environmental Statement t-shirt uh, from Silver Surfer. There's a Ghost Rider and a Weapon X shirt. The Weapon X shirt has Barry Windsor Smith art. Bullpen bulletins have... Oh, I am not even going to read the Aunt May... First of all, it's typed up in that sort of scripty font that's kind of hard to read, but Aunt May wrote the May bullpen bulletins, which... I've been reading some old Spider-Man recently, and talk about, like, the Crypt Keeper. Oh my gosh. Anyway... Stan Soapbox, a series called The Comic Book Greats, in each video being an in-depth, full-length interview with one of the comic top talents. I'll have to check this out, see if it's on uh, see if it's on uh, YouTube at all. There's an East Coast Comics ad, an ad for Sleepwalker, and then the Hit Em High, Hit Em Low Laser Invasion Konami game. And the Dungeons and Dragons ad that's been running for a couple of months is on the back cover. And that is it. Uh, this is, takes us to the end of the end of, of the Death of Joe Hallen's storyline. And with that, I'm going to take a short break from uh, covering the Nam. Next episode will feature uh, will feature our, our next movie special, and that is going to be the 1979 Francis Ford Coppola film apocalypse now so come back in two weeks for that and until then thanks for listening and take care you 
you have reached the end of another episode of In Country. All stories and characters are copyright Marvel Comics, and all other media referenced are copyright their respective copyright holders and are used for review and illustrative purposes only. Feedback can be sent to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com, and you can follow the podcast at facebook.com slash incountrypodcast. Show notes and extras can be found at popcultureaffidavit.com. This podcast is a proud part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which is a division of the Demanzacore of Milan, Italy. Please support this podcast and all the other Two True Freaks podcasts by using the Amazon.com link at twotruefreaks.com anytime you shop. It costs you no extra money, but really helps us all out. Thank you for listening, and join me next time for the latest chapter in the saga of The Nom. Freedom, my lord knows there's got to be a bell.